0: It's time to outlive your cubicle, the podcast that helps you get the most out of your health when you spend your day at a desk. Remember, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Nothing in our discussion should be construed as medical advice or diagnosis. If you plan to make health changes, be sure to ask your doctor. Now, here's your host, Dan Wolf. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Outlive Your Cubicle. I am your host, Dan Wool, as the man said. Today, we have an interview with Dr. Guillermo Ruiz. He is a graduate of Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. He also studied medical sciences and health science administration at the University of Central Florida. While he was there, he worked as an advanced clinical technician in the pediatric emergency department and level one trauma center at Arnold Palmer Hospital for Children. And that's where he witnessed really great emergency care, but he also learned of a larger healthcare system that was in disarray. And using this perspective, he developed a passion for evidence-based medicine and used that to change his life. By changing his diet and learning about proper movement and implementing optimal lifestyle habits, he was able to improve his personal health and find a calling in naturopathic medicine. At that point, he decided to further his career with the focus on finding and removing the underlying obstacles to health. While he was at SCNM, Dr. Ruiz became interested in the treatment of endocrine disease with a focus on thyroid health. Under the mentorship of Dr. Alan Christensen, Dr. Ruiz expanded his knowledge and treatment of Hashimoto's and Graves' disease and completed advanced endocrinology training in order to better address and resolve the endocrine disease. Dr. Ruiz has a deep love for botanical medicine and he's presented nationally and internationally on this topic. He holds a position as a research assistant at SCNM, he works part-time as a researcher at the Arizona State University Biodesign Institute, and his research f- focuses in an interesting area, it's prevention and treatment of multi-drug resistant bacteria and viruses with the use of botanicals and other naturally occurring substances, such as amino acids and minerals, and we get into this in our discussion. In his spare time, Dr. Ruiz hosts his own podcast called 3030 Health, where he interviews the most influential personalities in the health movement and strives to advance naturopathic principles with an evidence-based medicine approach. I love his podcast, and I can tell you that Dr. Ruiz is a rising star in the naturopathic and in the paleo communities. And in this episode, we talk about a number of things, ranging from perfect cup of coffee, how he got started in medicine, uh, different diet types, and nutritional strategies for people with busy lifestyles and work. We also get into thyroid disease, and Dr. Ruiz works at in Integrative Health in Scottsdale. He's one of the top thyroid clinics in the country. He's a lot to say on the subject and the ones I just mentioned. He's a friend, he's a colleague, and it was a good interview. Hope you enjoyed learning from Dr. Guillermo Ruiz. Dr. Ruiz, welcome to the show. How's it going, Dan? You know, super excited to be here, dude. It's great to see you. Um, We're colleagues via Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, and uh, it's such a great pleasure uh, to have you on the show. Um, I first wanted to talk to you about something that I know is near and dear to the hearts of a corporate audience, and that is coffee. You are a connoisseur of coffee. How did you get into that, and what's the best way to prepare the perfect cup of coffee? Well, you
1: know. That's that's such an intricate question because uh, you know I'm gonna have to blame my friend uh, Devin Snow who really got me into the into the like intricacies of coffee and uh, to to make a very long story short uh, I have like this obsession with coffee where where uh, I've done as far as like roasting beans and. uh, and I've done, uh, you know, a lot of t- taste testing, and no lie, you know, one of the reasons I came to Arizona was because one of the best coffee shops in the nation, Cartel Coffee Shop, oh, it's is here, is here in Arizona. It's the best. But you know, uh, for anyone out there drinking coffee, uh, stop drinking dark roast. Uh, I'm gonna give you, uh, I'm gonna give you a couple of reasons why. Like, first of all. When you over roast your coffee, you're basically drinking a one note charcoal uh, tea. Uh, and you don't want that. You know, coffee has a lot of intricacies, and uh, the proper extraction of coffee is as important and has been used as a medicine and uh, for so long. So, so um, the the best recipe, easy, easy for you to uh, to have the best cup of coffee. Go get. There's three ingredients to coffee. Okay. The first ingredient, the most important ingredient is water, 95%, probably more 99% of the coffee is an extraction made with that, uh, with, with water. So get the cleanest water you, you want. Now you don't want our water. You want something that has some minerals because those minerals are going to he- help uh, pull some of the stuff out of the coffee, those nuances. The second most important thing for coffee is going to be fresh roasted beans. Uh, if you, if you go to a reputable coffee shop, they're going to have, uh, they're going to, they're going to have different beans and, and you doesn't matter if it's a blend. It doesn't matter if it's a single origin from Kenya or Ethiopia or Guatemala, just get something that has been roasted within the past, uh, uh, week and you should be good. You don't want freshly like the same day roasted coffee because it hasn't developed, uh, grind it right before you, you drink it and uh because the moment you start grinding the coffee you start oxidizing the beans and when you oxidize the beans you know there's more surface area per per granule of of coffee and uh it becomes rancid and all of those uh, oils can can uh, affect the, the the taste of your coffee and then number three you gotta have a recipe you know one of the reasons uh, I never got into tea is because like tea is more like a, like an art and it's like very fluffy and, uh, oh, I'm going to get this flowers and I'm going to get this uh, these different barks and I'm going to make a combination and I'm going to steep it. And I'm going to steep it for two hours or I'm going to steep it for five seconds. And, and, uh, and I don't like that. I like rigidity. <laughs> so uh, you, you need a 15 to 1 ratio of coffee to water. So for every 15 grams of water, you want uh, one gram of coffee. For example, if you're doing, let's say, 600 grams of water, which is a little bit more than half a liter, you want 40 grams of coffee, freshly ground, uh, and and then you need your extraction method. So everyone's familiar with like a a French press. Uh, You want to immerse those beans in water for a total of four minutes. Uh, and after those four minutes pass, you take away the grounds because if you leave them there, it's going to overextract, and that's when you start getting the bitterness of coffee, and then you can pour, pour it out into a second ve- uh, vessel and just enjoy your coffee, and that's going to be the best cup of coffee you've ever had, and it doesn't matter what the method is. You could do it with a with a super auto uh, automatic uh, uh, just carafe-style coffee maker like you would find at your... Uh, at your uh, workplace, or you can, you know, bring a little, you know, tiny uh, uh, V60 uh, with a filter, or you can bring your French press to your desk, and you can have
0: fresh coffee any day of the week. Love that. Now, where do you fall? Are you more about the the cup of coffee, or are you also about the ritual of coffee and getting together with people?
1: You know, uh, both. <laughs> uh, it, one, you know, one thing about, you know, it, it, we, we live in, in this Western society where we think more is more or more is better. And uh, I, I, I've caught back on the amount of coffee that I drink, um, but without sacrificing the ritual, without sacrificing, uh, you know, the, the activity of making coffee because uh there's you know it it's so cool to go to a different uh region of the world and uh connect connect with people that are as enthusiastic as uh, about coffee as you might be like for example uh when i visited barcelona uh, you know we're walking down the street and and yeah i did some research and i i found that there was this this uh coffee place called cafe um uh, it was uh uh Oh, man, I'm I'm, uh, missing the name. But, you know, there was this this coffee shop that has been there since uh, before the World War. And, uh, they have been doing coffee in the right way, uh, for hundreds and hundreds of years and, uh, you know, for like, you know, 130 years or something like that in, in third generation, uh, people that ha- has, are as enthusiastic about coffee as your most hipster, you know, uh, uh, place in, in any of your neighborhoods in, in your city. Um, and, uh, you, you walk there, and if you have a little bit of knowledge, they get super excited because they don't, you know, this is their coffee. This is their, their yeah. neighborhood coffee, and they, uh, they, they serve people that are just talking or on a date or their morning ritual, and they're stopping to re- read the newspaper. Uh, and they take you back there, and they took me out back there, and we had, like, the most amazing coffee experience. For example, that was the first time I tried a varietal called Harar. And the Harar coffee is a little bit different than your your Ethiopian coffee, or it's it's an Ethiopian type of coffee. But the bush from the from the Harar uh, varietal is more like a tree, so they they let it dry in the branches, and uh, and they they soak it with water, and it ferments a little bit, so it has like a vinegary taste. So it's not like your typical coffee. And like the notes of that coffee are amazing. And uh, we went to a different coffee shop in, in Madrid, uh, Café Pau, in, um, and uh, uh, Café Pum Pum in, in, in Madrid. And they had a different type of coffee from the same region of the world that tasted like straight up uh, tomatoes. It was like drinking. Oh, my gosh. Tomatoes. And it was so amazing. And then uh, a couple of years ago, uh, here in, in Tempe, we had a, a, uh, a different, a, one other different variety of Ethiopian, a wahana rosuna, that tasted like melted strawberry starburst. Oh my god! So you know when you over roast your coffee, it totally, totally like like eliminates all those nuances and all this really uh, uh, amazing uh, tastes. You know, almost like wine. Okay, but it's easy to overdo it, and you don't want to overdo any stimulants because that's like dirty energy. And and you don't want that, you know. You want to have, you know, maybe a little bit stimulation. Maybe you like the taste of coffee, but you don't want to be jittery. You don't want to be making uh, decisions on basically jet fuel. And it kind of like messes with your cortisol rhythms. And it kind of, you know, uh, it it can it can be habit forming. And do you really want to depend on on a substance? You know, I drink coffee because I like it. I don't drink coffee because I need it. and in reality, I don't want to, you know, if, if I don't have a, a cup of coffee one of these days, I don't want to get a headache and I don't want to be thinking, you know, like a, like an addict, you know. So a couple of things that I've done, okay. So I like coffee. I want to continue drinking coffee, but I got to do it with in moderation. So at, a really cool trick is to buy like the most badass uh, thermos that you can get. And and I selected something called a sorry Jushi. Okay, and the Sori is this uh, is this thermos made in uh, uh, Thailand, and like those guys have figured uh, out how to uh, how to make a good thermos. And I fill it with sixteen ounces of coffee, which is like two cups of coffee, Mm -hmm. you know, two or or, you know one and a half, depending on the size of the cup of coffee that you drink. And that stuff stays warm all the way on like for eighteen hours. Oh,
0: cool!
1: So that's a way that I can curb my my coffee consumption without sacrificing the ritual without sacrificing you know my ability to enjoy it without overdoing it and and that really has helped me cut back because because you really don't want to be running on just caffeine
0: and you will get into this in a little bit but you work at one of the great clinics in america for adrenal fatigue and it's that dirty energy like you're talking about or the you know overconsumption of caffeine what do you see in clinic and is coffee kind of contraindicated in people who are, you know, really you know, suffering from adrenal burnout?
1: Well, you know, with, with, uh, it's, it's, a, that's a very interesting question because there's, there's some, you know, so yeah, you know, uh, I work at integrative health in, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona under the tutelage of, uh, Dr. Alan Christensen, you know, uh, one of the, my greatest mentors, and I've learned so much in the past year from him and, and how to treat patients. And uh, there has been some cool research coming out about uh, adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction. And if you really go deep into the literature, uh, one of my good friends, uh, Ari Whitten, okay, uh, he has a website called The Energy Blueprint, and uh, he he was like, you know, he's a friend of mine and a friend of Dr. Christensen. Um, and he said, you know, uh, that he was getting busted by people saying, oh, there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue, okay? So he was like, you know what, I'm gonna prove you guys wrong. And he went and he literally went to PubMed and typed cortisol regulation and chronic fatigue syndrome. And he reviewed like, I think upwards of like 62 different meta-analysis on cortisol. And there is no relationship between high, low, or medium cortisol levels and levels of fatigue. What that means is that there's people that have really low cortisol and have a lot of uh, fatigue syndromes. And there's people that have really high cortisol and and, uh, fatigue syndromes. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, having a good circadian rhythm, having your hormones respond throughout the day, especially cortisol, the way they're supposed to uh, be responding, that doesn't mean that that uh, is not a factor in being healthier, but it, it is more of a factor of an underlying cause of the reason why you are fatigued.
0: And just for the listeners, you know, cortisol is a hormone that's produced in the adrenal glands. It will wake you up in the morning. It rises. It rises with the sun, and it is responsible for your stress response. So, uh, let's let's dig into cortisol. Okay, okay. sure. So, so you know,
1: everyone has heard of like, uh, uh, like adrenal fatigue or or cortisol resistance. And this, this little, you know, hormone cortisol is responsible for a couple of things. Um, it's an anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. okay? So it reduces your immune system. It kind of makes uh, – it, it, it um, liberates glycogen from your liver, which is a form of sugar that you store in your liver. Uh, it it uh, And by doing that, uh, it also uh, kind of, like, pushes – insulin out and insulin, uh, you know, ret- you retain a little bit of water. So your blood pressure goes up. Uh, you-, you can get a little jittery with cortisol. Uh, just think about getting nervous. You know, think about the response that you, you get when you're getting nervous. And the way th- that I explain it to my patients is in the morning, first thing in the morning, you want to be not nervous, but aware. You want to have higher blood pressure because you're just racing from being, you know, uh, completely uh, horizontal over over eight hours. You want to be alert. You want to be, you know, on the go, ready to go, okay? So what happens is that in the environments that we live, okay, uh, we are con- in, in a constant cortisol uh, or stressed environment. If you're listening from your from your uh, from your uh, from your desk right now, you're listening to a podcast, and I'm probably scaring you right now into <laughs> thinking that you have high cortisol, and that is going to in 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 effect cause a cortisol response, and uh, that is not in line with. Uh, are the the way that we should live every day. Okay, so the cortisol curve goes like this. So in the morning you want to be a little bit nervous. You want to be uh, you want to be able to have that awareness, and as the day progresses, you want that cortisol curve to go um, to go down and down and down and down and down. Um, so what we want to do is uh, have. High levels of cortisol in the morning, low levels of cortisol at night, so you can fall asleep. But if there's a couple of things that raise your cortisol at the wrong time, and then you end up having high cortisol throughout the day, like for example, you're listening to this podcast, you're you're scared because I'm talking about cortisol, or you're driving and someone cuts you off, that's going to spike your cortisol, or you work out late at night, and that's going to increase your cortisol, and now then you can't fall asleep. Which, if you can't fall asleep, that's going to mess up your your cortisol rhythm because now you're going to push that cortisol, and now in the morning, you might not have the high levels of cortisol to wake up. And that's why a lot of people in the United States wake up and are not
0: refreshed. They get that 3 in the morning wake up
1: yeah you know and then and then uh so cortisol again you know it helps you regulate sugar if you, your brain needs sugar cortisol spikes and it releases some sugar you know imagine you're running a, uh, away from a tiger uh, you want to have some substrate of energy in order to be able to run away from the tiger and uh, you liberate some of the sugar stores that lets you run faster and survive okay but what happens when you are sleeping, and because you have been stressed for so long, your cortisol is not making that happen, and now you're not getting that sugar response. Well, in the middle of the night, if you are passed out and you know dreaming, you're not going to think about going to the fridge and getting some sugar to feed your brain. So if the cortisol response is not working, then you jump into epinephrine, which is the next stressor. It's stressing uh uh hormone and if you jump from cortisol which is like a nice little push and you go into epinephrine that's when you wake up like Pulp Fiction style like (gasps) you know in in the middle of the night and you're now you're having a panic attack because your body says hey we need to regulate this sugar so unfortunately coffee (laughs) to bring it back uh also pushes your cortisol levels up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you are having trouble sleeping, even if you don't think that that caffeine is affecting you, how many times have you heard, "Oh, I can drink caffeine all day and it's not going to uh, it, and it's not going to disrupt my sleep"? Physiologically, that's impossible because you will have that response to the caffeine, whether you notice it or not. So, uh, by having solid cortisol levels you're going to be able to have better sleep, better recovery. You're going to get your immune system. Remember, if you you get up, if any time that someone's sick at work, you get sick, it's probably because you have high cortisol levels, which is diminishing your... Uh, your ability to fight infections because cortisol is an anti-inflammatory that kind of slows down your immune system. So if, you, if you're the person that gets, catches every cold, if you're that person that can't sleep at night, if you're that, pe- that person that's waking up and not being refreshed and necessitates that cup of coffee, there's something going on
0: with that cortisol rhythm. Well, let's switch gears a little bit here. Dr. Ruiz has the 3030 Health Podcast. Been meaning to ask you this for a long time. What is 3030 strong and where did that come about? Well, that's a
1: super uber secret. And I'm going to ask Fair enough. you, I'm going to ask your listeners, you know, if anyone
0: can figure out what that comes from, I'm going to buy you a NorCal margarita. <laughs> Sounds good. And you have one question that uh, is, is a great introductory question that you ask all your guests on the podcast. And I'm going to ask it to you now. Dr. Ruse, what's your hero story? Well, okay, so. I, you know, I tell so many. It, there's so many
1: facets to how I came to where I'm at. You know, uh, and and there's different like versions of this hero story, uh, because it, in reality, it's a culmination of all these different uh, you know uh, happy accidents, like Bob Ross would say. Uh, but but in it, it, the the way that I got here was because. Uh, I was kind of unhealthy, you know. Uh, in in work, I, I used to work at a level one tra- trauma center for kids. And if you've ever worked with a with in, in a hospital, there's always like health challenges, and there's people always uh, trying to um, uh, get healthier uh, somewhere or another. And I was and I was tired of dieting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, being a kind of like a ones and zeros kind of guy. I wanted to figure out like what is the way, you know, what is like the really scientific way of losing weight and not being, uh, and not 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 having any effort. So I uh, talk, was talking to one of my friends, and he let me borrow a, a book by the name of "Good Calorie, Bad Calorie" by Gary Tobbs, mm-hmm. where it basically it, it's a it's a it's a huge tome saying everything you know about diet is wrong and it makes such an amazing argument uh and uh, gary Tobbs uh you know uh, adheres to the insulin hypothesis hypothesis of uh of weight gain uh and you know after many years this is back in uh, 2008 you know uh 2009, you know, after 10 years, you know, we, we now know that insulin is a factor in obesity, but so are calories and so are, you know, but to make a long story short, um, it really made me question everything I knew about nutrition. And the more I got into it, I started like figuring out that just like we the way we're doing nutrition doesn't make any sense scientifically. The way we treat patients doesn't really make sense scientifically. And I'm going to give you an example. Okay. Let's pretend you have foot pain. Okay. And, and the reason you have foot pain is because you have a, a pebble stuck on your shoe. Okay. And I told you, okay, I know what to do. I've seen this before. I'm going to give you some oxycodone. <laughs> you know, so, so the pain is going to go away because that pebble is causing a symptom, pain. Um, and by, by giving you that prescription, we're masking that symptom. But if you continue uh, walking with that, with that pebble, you're going to injure your foot and you're going to continue, you know, bleeding. And then you're going to, they're going to have to amputate your, your foot. When the, the right approach to getting rid of that pain is for you to take your shoe off and just get rid of that pebble. Right. You know, now, now, now this sounds silly, but it's very, very obvious. Okay, so it came. You know, it hit me like a ton of bricks when my girlfriend's mom was diagnosed with cancer. It was a very, uh, uh, it's a kind of form, uh, uh, really uh, rare kind of cancer that that it, that has a really strong association with eating wheat. Wheat is a very inflammatory protein. Okay, and uh, what happens is that, you know, by eating wheat, it creates inflammation in your intestines and uh, it it, it erodes your intestines and and you just need one rogue cell to turn cancerous and then it continues to divide and then you have cancer. Her first symptom was a complete obstruction of her small intestine. Whoa. And by the time that lumen was completely, you know, sealed, that cancer was everywhere. Okay, so... Being a once and zero kinda of guy, having a scientific library at the at the at the hospital, I went to the to 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 uh do some research and I found three different studies on the association between jejunal cancer and uh gluten consumption. So to make, you know, think about it, okay? Uh, you you have this A to B causality, you know, it's not proven because it's so rare. So we haven't, we don't have enough case studies, but it's a strong enough correlation for me to print those papers out. And, and I gave them to my uh, girlfriend's mom uh, and she went to the surgeon, the surgeon, you know, like in his most cheerful, you know, cheerleading kind of attitude was like, you know what? It's nothing you did. We're going to fight this. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that sounds cool. The problem is that there is other DNA that is related to her that is walking through this earth in the form of siblings and daughters and sons and that could benefit from this information. And the way that we treat cancer is, you know, instead of like, okay, let's remove the pebble from the shoe, is what's the most appropriate chemotherapy? Now I'm not against using chemotherapy for cancer, but why are we treating cancer in that way? And then you think about any disease process. For example, diabetes. Do you know is is the answer to type two diabetes to uh, give someone metformin? What about autism? What about you know all of these different disease processes? And it didn't compute in my head. Now we can do an amazing job with like surgical procedures and using technology to help you, uh, you know, uh, uh, save your life right there at that instant, you know, um, heart attacks and putting stents and all of this cool stuff that we can do with, with technology. But when it comes to prevention, the current healthcare model didn't work for me. I I did not believe it. You know, we're just, we were just, you know, what's, you know, uh, here's your infection. Here's your, here's your medicine. Here's, you know, what's the underlying cause? What's causing this? And uh, listening to Chris Kresser, uh, you know, he, he mentioned the word naturopath and I was like, what the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) So then I started like looking into it and it made a lot of sense. You know, what if there was this profession that instead of like, you know, trying to find out what the, the, the best prescription for something is, what, you know, it instead, you know, try to prevent disease or trying to reverse disease with nutrition, with movement, with sleep, with habit formation. And, and it was like, damn, man, this is it. This is what I want to do. And it's funny because naturopathic medicine found me not the other way around. And, and that's why I'm talking to you right now, because I, I you know, I want to shout it from the rooftops that, you know, if you have a medical condition, don't settle for just silencing symptoms. You know, educate yourself, become your own advocate
0: and remove what's making you sick, not just cover it. Absolutely. And thank you for that story. You mentioned Chris Kresser. You mentioned Gary Taubes. I know you've read Rob Wolf's books and you've gotten involved in the paleo world. What is a paleo diet? And continuing on what you were already saying about uh, you know, wheat, for example, how did you get involved with that? And what are your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, it, it, it was uh, back in 2008, 2009, it was hard to read Taubes and not kind of get involved in the paleo community. Um, And I I want to dispel some myths. You know, a paleo diet is not just eating meat. You know, a paleo diet is not a ketogenic diet. A paleo diet, it's not, uh, you know, you... uh, A paleo diet, the the way I define a paleo diet, a paleo diet is the most anti-inflammatory diet for you during this continuum of health, for example uh, let's say you, uh, you are a kiddo, you know, just born, you know, uh, your paleo diet would be breast milk. Okay. Uh, and then you become a toddler and you're growing and maybe your paleo diet is going to include, uh, you know, a little bit more calcium and, and, uh, you know, so maybe some dairy products, uh, you're going to eat, uh, you're going to eat more calories. Then you go to high school and you become an athlete. And now you're going to try to eat as much protein as you can in order to maintain your muscle mass. But then, uh, you go to, uh, you go to, uh, college and you end up, uh, a, uh, in, in a desk job and you can't move. So now maybe you're gonna have to be a little bit more on the ketogenic side because you're not expending as much calories as you were during your, uh, during your, your high school days. So, so uh, the most anti-inflammatory diet for you at that time is probably gonna include less carbohydrates. Let's say then you decide to run a triathlon, so now you're going to change that mix. And throughout all those things, the macronutrients change. Uh, like for example, the example that I give is, okay, so a bodybuilder is going to want to eat a higher protein diet, which is going to be beneficial for them. And a person with, uh, uh, there's a disease called horseshoe kidneys, and those, uh, those guys can't process uh, protein as well as someone with two kidneys. So their diet is going to be less protein uh, heavy. OK, so they're pro- they're probably going to rely maybe more on carbohydrates or fats. OK, who is to say that those two people are not eating their best diet for themselves? So the paleo diet is macronutrient agnostic, depending on your situation, depending on, on you know, let's say you're a f- uh, pretty healthy person that is running marathons. Um Maybe you want to be on the higher carbohydrate side or maybe you want to run in a ketogenic style of, uh, for endurance training. Cool. And, and then you're diagnosed with cancer, okay and you decide that oh you know what maybe if I do a ketogenic diet, I can starve out some you know some uh, types of cancers um, and, and you switch again, you know you switch the, the, the fuel mix, but that doesn't mean that you are not uh, you're not still, Following an ancestral type of diet. Now, what is the the common thread between all of these things? The common thread is that you want to eat unprocessed, clean food. So you don't want to, you know, uh, you're gonna you're gonna try to eat, you know, the most uh, the the highest quality vegetables and beef that you that you can get, the highest quality uh, calories, in order for you to achieve those goals. And um, that doesn't mean that you have to eat like uh, 100% organic, 100% grass-fed food every day, all day long, although it would be amazing. Uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. You know, there's some processed things that, that you know, could be better, you know, than, than not eating, uh, 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 you know, like for example, uh, if you have to eat some beef jerky, uh, that would be better than eating a donut. Okay, that you don't have to eat uh, grass-fed steak for every meal. Uh, Just making sure that that you don't let perfection get in the
0: way of your goals. And is it possible for someone sitting at a desk who might eat out all the time to get a clean clean food as much as possible? Is it an 80-20 proposition? So you know, I don't like the eighty twenty proposition. I'm a, I'm a hardliner when it
1: comes to that. Uh, but but I'm giving you a lot of leeway. You know, uh, it, it you know I like technology. You know, uh, and and uh, it, that's what makes us human. Uh, like for example, there's there, there's a you you'll hear people say, oh, you know, we're the only mammal that drinks another mammal's milk. Well, we're the only mammal that wears pants. So should we stop <laughs> wearing pants? No. Um, milk is a technology. And if you don't have any problems with lactose, okay, if you're not allergic to, to the proteins within milk, namely casein, whey, uh, albumin, uh, if you're not allergic to those things, by all means, drink milk. Uh, what you So, again, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. So uh so you don't you don't have to you know like that 80 20 you know 80% of your meals could be fresh prepared homemade foods and then the 20 could be technology so let's say you're running you know you you your commute is an hour and you can't you can't afford to spend 20 minutes making breakfast every morning if you're not allergic to to milk products maybe a protein shake instead of eggs and bacon is going to be um um it's going to be fine it's going to be perfectly fine you know don't don't hit, don't uh, don't you go ahead and uh, beat yourself over it the problem with the 8020 proposition is that when people let loose you can't really stop and it and and we have to blame food scientists for that uh, because they are very good at making food over palatable And when you, when, when, you know, when those uh, chip
0: commercials say, you know, bet you can eat just one, you know, they're not lying. No, I mean, they have research scientists who have measured the decibels of the chip and figured out at what point will that get somebody to reach for another one and then another one and another one. It's even, even down to that granular of a level of science that, you know, many of these foods they've, they've thought that through in order for you to consume more and if you you
1: know if you can't like fathom the idea that someone's controlling you <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> just think about this okay dan have you ever like reached in the fridge and got grabbed like a cup of mayonnaise and just gone at it <laughs> <laughs> not mayonnaise but there's just mayonnaise okay yeah. what about what about like have you ever boiled chicken you know let's boil half a chicken and just ate it like straight you know boiled chicken
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: well, you know, it's not as tasty as, as a <laughs> cup of mayonnaise. But what about like, have you ever grabbed an onion and ate it like a, like, a, like an apple? No. Okay. Uh, a little bit easier, you know, like four sticks of celery. Have you ever eaten those sticks of celery? You know, a lot of people have. Sure. Know? Okay. Now, if you grab all of those ingredients and you combine them, now you have chicken salad. And I guarantee that you have eaten chicken salad all the time. You see, and now those are the same. You know, like a cup of a cup of mayonnaise, half a chicken, half an onion, and four uh, you know sprigs of, of celery. You make chicken salad, and that's pretty damn delicious. The sum of the parts can make you eat more calories than the individual things and and then you can get even more complicated you know because like for example so that's a really plain chicken salad but you add some cranberries to that thing then you add some nuts and now you're switching between creamy and crunchy and sweet and and salty and now i bet you can eat just one you know (laughs) And, and, and and so so by bypassing or by by playing with our senses, we can be enticed into eating more. And that's why the 80-20 proposition kind of doesn't work because even, even if you were uh, – like, for example, if you were to eat a protein bar versus a full salad, even if they are the same calories, you will probably be better satiated by the salad because of volume than the processed Paleo protein bar.
0: Absolutely, and
1: and I do see a trend. You know, like for example, any time that we start something, you know, uh, like a diet. You know, uh, let's say you start a vegan diet, or you start a ketogenic diet, or you start a uh, paleo diet. Uh, there's like this, um, this this honeymoon period where you're like figuring things out. You don't know what to eat. You're like researching, and you're like, and you like diminish the amount of calories just by sheer. Uh, uh obstacles of of eating okay uh, and then you get really excited you start losing weight you tell you start telling everyone about your diet uh, but then you start becoming more savvy and then you start making like paleo pizzas and paleo brownies and guess what you're making the same mistake you were making when you were not eating a labeled paleo diet because by doing there's nothing paleo about a Cookie, there's nothing paleo about a brownie. So by eating those food combinations that are processed, the calorie density increases, and now you're going to find yourself not losing weight. In fact, yeah, gaining weight.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I we see that a lot, right? Um, and that that actually happened to me. I, I have celiac disease. I was put on a gluten-free diet. They go, oh, they have a gluten-free aisle over at Whole Foods. I'm like, great. So all of a sudden, I'm eating the gluten free cookies, the gluten-free brownies, the gluten free crackers and getting like no nutrition. And the exact same thing that you just mentioned happened, you know, first I gained weight and then I started to lose weight from not having good nutrition. So I mean really what you're talking about is a, you know, just kind of a broad based diet um of, you know, what is healthy for you uh right now. It's the least inflammatory it's the you know versus the most convenient.
1: Yeah, you know another example like for someone with celiac, you know, uh, you know the, the, the glycemic index. Okay, oh. it's is designed to see what the uh, the effect of a food product has on your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. There's there's things that are really high in the glycemic index, and there's things that are really low in the glycemic index. So, uh, what has a higher glycemic index than?
0: Uh, carbs, processed well, carbs,
1: yeah, processed carbs, because that, that's going to affect your, your blood sugar. Okay. But what has a higher glycemic index, whole wheat bread mm-hmm. or gluten-free bread? It's gluten-free bread. And, and the reason why is that there's things that slow down the absorption of carbohydrates. Fats is one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, proteins is another one. Okay. Whole wheat bread has tons of carbs for sure. But it also has the protein gluten okay so gluten is very it's very inflammatory but it does slow down the absorption of carbohydrates when you have gluten-free bread you have all of the carbs none of the protein <laughs> exactly so that bread is going to spike your in your your uh glucose faster and it's going to increase that that uh that uh glucose uh in 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 your blood, you know. Uh, so so it, it makes no sense to me that someone says, "Oh, I went gluten free to lose weight." No, no, no. You went gluten free to decrease inflammation. If you want to lose weight, you're going to do a. You might be. You you, you want to do both. You want to lose weight and you want to decrease inflammation.
0: But you just gotta be careful in the way you approach it, because it's very easy to get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some common diet mistakes like that that you see in practice all the time? Well, you know, that's that's one, you know, that's one where, where
1: people start eating processed foods, you know, thinking that they're super healthy and they're not. Uh, uh, following, uh, you know, like within even within, within the glycemic index, you can get into a lot of trouble. Like, for example, um, sugar, you know, a teaspoon of sugar has a high glycemic index. And then you, you there's things like agave syrup. That don't have a high glycemic index, because agave syrup is ninety three percent fructose, mm-hmm. and fructose, you know, uh, it's absorbing in the small intestine, and once that is saturated, all of the rest of the fructose goes into your liver, and it starts creating wreck a wreck. Okay, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, trying to eat fat free things. Uh, especially things like, you know, fat free milk or fat free, uh, uh, you know, where, where you strip the, 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 uh, the fat and now you've decreased the fat content, but now you've increased the, uh, the amount of sugar that uh, impact as you're going to have on your blood. Um, the big one too would be eating polyunsaturated fatty acids and cooking with them, you know, uh, things like canola oil, things like uh, soybean oil, vegetable oil. Uh, Those polyunsaturated fatty acids are very fragile. And when you cook with them, they kind of oxidize and they can create a lot of vessel damage. And that's when you see someone with low lipid levels, but high inflammation. And that's why we have people with low low cholesterol that have uh, heart attacks.
0: And one of your areas of expertise also is hormone health. Uh, what do you see as the effects on hormones? We were talking about adrenal hormones a little bit earlier, but also, you know, coming out of the uh, same area of the adrenal glands, we have a lot of the sex hormones, and uh, you mentioned earlier the HPA axis. We can get into a little bit of that. And uh, what do you see with hormones getting suppressed due to stress and diet and other factors? You no, know, I'd like to talk a little bit about thyroid. You know, because that's a, that's a hot
1: topic uh, in uh, a lot of the problems that I see with thyroid is autoimmune disease, you know, and, and the reason why I recommend a, an, an anti-inflammatory, um, more wholesome diet to my patients, it's to reverse you know, uh, autoimmune disease. And, and, and of the autoimmune diseases that I see, uh, Hashimoto's steroiditis is number one. Uh, that's where your body uh, creates antibodies against your thyroid. And uh, it starts attacking it, you know, and uh, in, it, it creates havoc. And then your thyroid kind of gets suppressed and gets damaged. And then you can get nodules and those nodules can become cancerous. And, you know, you don't want that. And uh, it's, it's really funny how it starts. You know, you start by eating like a very inflammatory protein that kind of makes some inflammation in your intestines. Your intestines kind of open up and, and they have some uh, uh, intestinal permeability and then uh your you know it in, in your bloodstream uh your body detects these peptides as intruders creates antibodies to this, and then you know those antibodies also sometimes fit in other parts of the body where they shouldn't be uh attacking, for example, they could fit in your uh your elbows and give you eczema it could you know affect your your uh, your blood brain barrier, and then you have like things like mental fog. It could affect your thyroid, and you get Hashimoto's thy- thyroiditis. That's why, uh, you know, the first step if you have any type of autoimmune disease would be let's clean your diet. Let's clean your diet. Uh, you know, we, we might need to give you a little bit of uh, thyroid medicine in order to get your thyroid levels up to par, but without removing the obstacle to health, meaning the inflammatory food, we're never going to get anywhere. So if you're sitting there at your desk, okay? And, uh, and you've tried dieting, okay? And you've tried uh, exercising, and you've tried, uh, you know, all of these different strategies, you know, and you can't seem to lose weight, okay? So we talked about how food quality matters. We Talked about how macronutrient composition matters. We talked about inflammatory aspects of the, of uh, the food matters, but also your physiological response to food matters. So if you are hypothyroid, that's like your accelerator, and if that accelerator is not pressed, your BMR, your basal metabolic rate, it's not going to be working. It's going to go down, and and it's going to prevent you from utilizing the calories that you're you're consuming. So, you you know, you could be fatigued for so many reasons, and and it could be cortisol imbalances. It could be because you're not eating enough. Or it could be that you have a a true physiological problem where you're not producing enough hormones for quality living. So it's not your fault, you know. and, And some of the things that you need to look for is like thinning hair, you know, uh, you, you, uh, being cold when everyone is warm, um, not being able to lose weight, no matter how hard you try, um, you, uh, you know, being, uh, uh, you know, fatigued and, uh, all of these things, you know, all of these things can present as a picture and, uh, of, of hypothyroidism.
0: What don't most people know about their hormones? You mentioned a lot of really interesting symptoms there that uh, we see come into the clinics, but a lot of times when you tell people it's their hormones or that uh, they they come in and they say, oh, we're, but I'm eating a healthy diet. Um, you know, what are the most common, uh, I don't know, what are the most common misconceptions about that people have about their hormones?
1: You know, in, in, just in health in general, um, that, that, you know, when you, when you have a a flat tire, okay, you go to the mechanic and they change that tire. And then that's it. You know, you, you have a excellent running car once, once again, and it's, uh, it's not the same with the human body. You know, like imagine if, if you had a car and you change the oil and all of a sudden you have four new tires and that's how the body actually works, you know? So let's say you present with this, 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 picture of low energy, maybe no sex drive, maybe, maybe you're gaining more weight than you want to, maybe, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're fatigued, um, uh, and, and, and you run a set of labs, okay? And it says, oh, you're hypothyroid. So let's give you some thyroid medication. Well, not so fast. Okay. Let's check your sleep. Are you sleeping? Let's check your adrenals. Are your adrenals working correctly? Let's check your um, uh, your your uh, your testosterone. You know, is, are your testosterone levels high? Uh, and and it, it's usually the other way around. Like, it, like if if you were to check someone's testosterone that was low, uh, and you just give them testosterone, sure they're going to feel great, but you're just suppressing that that gland, and you're not, you know, uh, you're not going to. Um, allow the body to do what it what it needs to do if you on the other hand have someone with low testosterone and you fix things that are in the perimeter of things that affect testosterone levels you might not only affect testosterone but you you will also help the adrenals and you will also help the thyroid for example you have someone with low T Uh, They want to put muscle, they don't have a, you know, sex drive, and you start by, let's fix your sleep, let's fix your diet, let's, you know, let's stop relying on caffeine to get you through the day, let's try to minimize your stressors, okay, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to, you know, get, uh, you know, your testosterone levels are going to get up, are going to go up and now your HPA HPA axis is going to be more balanced and because you're sleeping better, maybe your cortisol levels are going to be more normal and because they're more normal, you're going to be able to sleep better because you're going to be excited in the morning and tired at night which is going to let you sleep and you're going to regenerate better. You're going to you know, flush all the toxins of your brain, which is going to help with the uh, communication of your brain to your thyroid, which is going to make your thyroid w- work better, which is going to increase your BMR, which is going to increase, uh, uh, facilitate weight loss, which is going to increase your muscle mass, which is going to help your testosterone. So it's all connected. We cannot see the human body as an isolated silo. We need to treat the whole body, and by giving it balance, that's how you achieve true health.
0: Now, what is a simple way to kind of get started? We all have such busy lifestyles. Um, we're running around from nine to five, and and then we get home, and there's things to take care of. And you know, stress is just a part of modern life, and it does keep those hormones suppressed. Uh, what are some simple ways to get started? What do you recommend to your patients?
1: Well, you know, th- so with stress, you know, uh, unless you go move to an island, you know, or, or you know, or something like that, you know, the, you're not a snowflake, everyone has stress. One of the biggest pet peeves that I had at, at, at when I was in school is when people were like, I'm so stressed, I'm just going to eat a pint of ice cream, which is like the worst thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's two types of stressors, stressors that you can control and stressors that you cannot control. I cannot control traffic. I cannot control, you know, when I was in school, I couldn't control the, you know, the week before finals. Uh, I I cannot control the workload that I'm going to get at work tomorrow. But there are things that I've pretty much in 100% control. Like for example, the time I go to bed, uh, what I'm going to uh, uh, fork into my mouth three times a day, those things I can 100% control. So as the stress goes up, your diet should get cleaner because that's one less stressor than, than, than that you're going to be giving your body. I'm going to give you an example. Have you ever heard of someone going on a cruise and they're like, man, I was eating it all day long and I actually lost weight you know so what happens is that instead of being worried about traffic instead of being worried about the next deadline you know you're on a cruise man like they make you leave your cell phones you know off because it's going to cost you a lot of money so you're not having facebook friends tag you and and reading headlines about politics you're sleeping more because you're on vacation so because you have all that stress controlled now you can buffer the stress of eating a bad diet so, so it makes total sense that people have that experience. Um, so the number one thing that you can do is take control of your life. You know, it, it, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, maybe you don't like the job that you have, but this is the job that you have to do, uh, and, and that's stressing you because you're just paying your bills. Okay, cool. That's a stressor that you cannot change. But to mitigate the damage that is giving you psychologically and physically, you know, meal, meal prep, meditate, you know, and once you get to a point where you can move to an island, then you can, do, you can change that and that's going to be the most bang for your money that you can get.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about meal prep. Um, you know, we were talking a little earlier about ancestral health and evolutionary medicine and traditionally meals were cooked together, they were shared together. But today shared meal means, you know, going out to fast food at lunch um, in, in maybe instead of every single day, instead of maybe, you know, going out with some people and having some laughs once in a while and or having people over to your house and cooking for others. Um, now, we don't cook. I, I, I'm of the belief that we are a generation or two away from losing the ability to cook for most people. We'll always have chefs, but most people have gotten accustomed to going out to eat, and instead of preparing their own food, which um, is really pretty easy. What are some good meal prep techniques that you recommend?
1: Well, you know the number one thing that I that I that I tell people like the biggest secret that i have is that i eat really really boring you know i eat basically the same thing over and over and over and over again and and that that does not mean that i don't enjoy food i love food very much but if you try to be a chef with every meal that you're that you're making, if you try to go on Pinterest and find the best paleo-looking food that you can find and then try to recreate it, and then you have to go to the store 10 times a week and you have to spend two hours per meal, that's going to be a stressor. So get good at two or three things have it have them ready you know have have some grass-fed frozen beef in your freezer and have a bag of of veggies and some curry powder you can make that meal in five minutes and um and every once, you know, once a week, twice a week, throw down, you know, go in, you know, find a, a recipe that you want and make it, you know, paleo-fied, you know, maybe maybe that's the 20% where you're going ha- you to make, you know, once, twice a month, you know, some paleo pizza um, and, and, and just kick your heels and have some chips and salsa every once in a while. But don't try to make every single meal Instagram ready, you know, and, and by taking that responsibility away. By taking that, you know, stop being hard on on yourself and and just, you know, repeating those movements and creating that habit, that's when you're going to achieve freedom. Dan, when was the last time you forgot to brush your teeth?
0: It's been a while. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, like, have you ever heard of anyone saying, you know what? Let's have a a, a teeth brushing challenge for the next thirty days. We're gonna brush our teeth every day. No, everyone does it. No, no, everyone does it. It's it's like ingrained from when you you know uh, when you were two. You know, it's ingrained in your brain. Uh, Yeah. How many times do you go and lay down and you go, oh damn, I forgot to brush my teeth, and you actually get up and go brush them and then come back (laughs) every time. Okay, if you create this habit. If you create a habit of, oh damn, I didn't make my lunch for tomorrow. Oh damn, I I didn't I didn't save enough from dinner to take for lunch tomorrow. If you create this habit and you ingrain it in its second nature, you're gonna lay down and you're gonna be oh instead of saying oh I didn't brush my teeth, you're gonna say oh I didn't prep for lunch tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to make something fast in 5 minutes and be ready for for that uh, for that tomorrow's lunch uh in 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 what what needs to happen is basically repetition but once that habit is set in once you figure out that eating a certain way is helpful for, for your health and that that's set in and that's that's happening then there's no problem you will be it will be so easy to maintain that that uh that you know you don't have to be a chef you don't have to be you know uh, an instagram uh a cook just make sure you are nourishing yourself and that you're doing it in the most anti-inflammatory way for you
0: what's one thing that you recommend for people sitting at a desk
1: uh you know the you know there's a there's a I don't want to call it a fad it's a good fad i guess you know about uh about uh, standing desks uh, and, and maybe you've heard that, you know, sit, sitting is the new smoking and how movement is, you know, so important. Well, you know, yeah, sitting is, is the new smoking and standing is the new sitting. Uh, it is important to, you know, like if you have the ability to buy a standing desk and maybe deduct it from your taxes at the end of the year, do it, you know, do it because standing is better than sitting, but we need to incorporate movement to our lives. So even if you have a standing desk, you know maybe get a bar underneath that desk and stretch your hip flexors. Maybe you know instead of uh, in, instead of uh, you know reaching for uh, you know every every ten minutes you can do a couple of push-ups. We're we're running a push-up challenge at work right now, and I I uh, I committed to 101 push-ups a day. Oh yeah, and uh, so so you know, like I count my patients and I divide those push-ups for the patients. Uh, then, right before I go see the patients, <laughs> I you know do a couple of push-ups. Incorporate movement to your life. You know, uh, it, maybe you, instead of taking calls, uh, uh, sitting down, maybe you want to stand up and walk. People think better when you're moving. Um, try to eliminate the stasis in your day. And, uh, in, 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 you know, and in, in if you don't, you know, this is, this is like a completely out of the left field. If you don't like what you're doing, this is your wake up call. You know, that doesn't mean that you need to uh, quit right now, but make a plan. You know, uh, I, was in, I wasn't happy with the way we were treating people. I wasn't, you know, I I was helping people. It was a very fulfilling job, but it was not my dream job. Go and nourish
0: yourself. Fight for that dream job. Outstanding. Dr. Ruiz, where can uh, people find you on the interwebs? You know,
1: you can visit my website at 3030strong.com. I have a, you know, a cool, uh, so a couple of posts. Uh, I I also have a podcast. Uh, my podcast is uh, 3030health.com. Uh, and, you know, I've had a couple of cool people in there, you know. Uh, and uh, I also post where I'm going to be presenting. I don't know. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air. But I'll be presenting at Paleo Effects this year, 2018, in, uh, in June, June 27th, I believe. Um, uh, then uh, hopefully I'll be at, uh, at at AHS, at the Ancestral Health Symposium, and this this year is going to be in Bozeman, uh, uh, Montana. And uh, I'll be at, at the Association of uh, Naturopathic, uh, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. I'm going to be presenting some some of my research there. Super cool. Uh, Conference and and
0: let me let me stop you right there real quick. We let's talk about your research. Oh Um, yeah yeah yeah. We we didn't even get into that. You you've done some really incredible uh, botanical research, both with uh, bacterial resistant or uh, I'm sorry, antibiotic resistant uh, bacteria, and uh, also some uh, effects of botanicals on uh, viruses like herpes simplex. What uh, talk a little about your research. Uh, what, what sorts of things have you done?
1: Well, you know, uh, it, it, that's 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 a really cool topic because uh, I love botanical medicine. You know, like I it, literally spent like five minutes at the, the, the intro of this podcast talking about a medicinal uh, a concoction called coffee, um, and uh, I really like the power of plants. But there's a lot of memes within botanical medicine like for example oh it's natural it's not going to you know the plant knows what you know what to do or oh it's natural this this natural antimicrobial is going to get is going to kill the bad bacteria but but the good bacteria is going to remain and that's not true you know uh, all these botanicals are making these compounds to defend themselves from other things and they are going to be indiscriminate of good bacteria or bad bacteria so we set forth a, uh, a proposal to try to see if we could make uh, bacteria resistant to botanicals. And we did. Um, and, and that's very interesting because after this world gets obliter- obliterated, you know, uh, bacteria are going to still be around because they can adapt so fast because their life cycles are so small so, you know, so they can mutate and, and reproduce and, and, and persevere. So uh, it, the idea of making uh, bacteria resistant to botanicals might sound a little anti-naturopathic or anti-botanical medicine, but in reality it elucidated how the, the, that plant is actually working. And by being able to figure out how the plant works, we can create better medicines. So like, for example, you have plant A and plant B, and both plants are attacking the bacteria with the same mechanism. We don't want to combine those two plants. We want to combine different types of mechanisms in order to make uh, that, that medicine more effective. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And you know, I presented last year at, at uh, the Ancestral Health Symposium on, um, on the ability of plants uh fighting viruses and uh and i presented at paleo effects last year uh the top uh the, uh, the top supplements uh for your uh, paleo medicine cabinet and i actually have an ebook on my website it's completely free you just go in and put in your uh your email and you can download uh, all these different uh, uh botanical and supplemental ways of fighting things like the common cold uh, things like indigestion, nausea, without having to go the the, uh, the drug route, you know. And these are double-blind, placebo-controlled trials. Uh, we did an excellent job researching those mechanisms to give you alternatives, uh, you know, it, so you don't have to, you know, always reach out for that uh, pill bottle. Um, this year at the uh, at at, at, uh, at PaleoFX, I'm going to be presenting. A class on how to make your own botanical medicine. So, so I, I, I really, I really like this topic, and I want to teach, you know, because, uh, you know, that's the next frontier in this ancestral. You know, we've covered the ancestral movement, we've covered the ancestral um, uh, way of eating. We, you know, we talk about meditation, we talk about circadian rhythms, but we haven't talked uh, that much about ancestral medicine. So, you know, how can you? at your house, create your own botanical medicine cabinet. And then at the Ancestral Health Symposium, which is a more um, uh, 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 scientific-laden conference, I'm going to be actually talking about the actual mechanisms of the plant. And uh, it's going to be controversial and surprising.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. Is there anywhere else where uh, people can find you?
1: I uh, practice at Integrative Health in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you know, for all your listeners, you know, I I, I am such a firm believer of this of this medicine. If you want to. Uh, uh, you know, if you if you feel that the the medical field has failed you, if you feel like 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 you're at your wits end and you're tired of, of the way that that you feel and you want to get healthy, hey, I'm willing to give you a free 15 cons- consultation. You know, just call four four eight zero six five seven zero 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 three. That's 480-657-0003, and, uh, and they'll schedule, schedule you for a free 15, and I can tell you, you know, maybe maybe I'm not in your town, maybe, but I, I can give you some clarity and in, 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 in an idea of what naturopathic medicine can do for you.
0: Outstanding. Dr. Ruiz, thanks for being on the show. Oh, no problem, man. You've just consumed another episode of Outlive Your Cubicle. You can find us on the web at cubicleclinic.com, at Cubicle Clinic on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, you can find me Dan Wool. That's at Dan Wool. D A N W O O L. If you like this episode, do us a favor, please review it on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you're listening. It's been a production of Cubicle Clinic LLC and Cubicle Clinic Media. Voiceover intro by DJ Dave Bernstein. Graphics by Brennan's Design. Till next time, eat well, play loud, and outlive your cubicle. Thanks for listening.